Hello everyone and welcome back to The Wealth Show from CityWire. My name is Ross Miller and today I'm continuing my S-Club Social Impact series by engaging with a topic that really makes us question what impact investing actually is. That being, can you really invest with impact in listed equities? If impact investing requires additionality, creating positive outcomes that wouldn't have occurred had that capital not been allocated in that way, can that really be found in listed markets where capital is just going to the previous holder of the shares? To explore this further, I enlisted the help of James Purcell, Group Head of Sustainability at Quintet Private Bank, whose subsidiary Brown Shipley will be familiar to our UK audience. James and I discussed what impact investing actually is, how fund houses approach this issue, and innovative instruments that could potentially help create a bit more impact in listed markets going forward. And with a view to the rest of our conversation, and because this is something that can be quite subjective, to you, what is impact? It's a really good question. And I think the best way to describe impact is to make it as simple and transparent as possible, which is when you're making investments, are you creating change? Are you creating an impact? And that should be something that is really quite self-evident. We shouldn't need to have pages and pages of um, you know, text and guidelines and different, uh, different uh, rating systems to determine when we're investing, are we making a difference or not in the world? It really should be self-evident. As we go a few levels deeper, then, of course, a lot of the terminology starts coming into the conversation about impact. We start thinking about, was the investment made with the intention to generate change? Can we measure that change? Can we verify that change? But really, I think it's actually a great thing to step back a little bit and go back to absolute first principles. When we're making this investment, are we actually changing anything in the world for the better? Is impact being created? And if the answer is not a resounding yes, you can go through as many of these different taxonomies as you like, but you're probably uh, you know, drifting away from actually having an impact on the world. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about that, that additionality, that what impact is being created that wouldn't have been created had that capital not been allocated in that way. So additionality, can you find that in listed equities and listed markets? Or isn't it a case of your capital is just going to the previous owner of the shares? What's your, what's your view on that? I think it's extremely difficult to have impact in listed markets. Not impossible, but extremely difficult. And you know, what you said, Ross, is spot on, which is the vast majority of the time when I'm buying a share or selling a bond, it doesn't change anything in the world. Uh, it's a transaction between two people who are you know, using secondary capital and the companies involved, uh, which were nominally uh, trading, have nothing to do with this whatsoever. They're, they're not aware, perhaps, that I've sold all my tobacco shares yesterday and I bought all the renewable shares today. That They're not aware nothing changes in the real world. So I think there's a challenge in having impact in uh, listed markets. And a lot of people sometimes mislead and confuse the fact that there are impactful companies in the world, companies that are doing great things, with the fact that investors themselves aren't actually generating that impact, if that makes sense. I think there's a, quite a big difference between owning impact and generating impact. The only way um, that I personally think we can change that paradigm is through the story of engagement and voting, 
which is once you are an owner of a bond or an equity, you you do have some responsibilities, right? You have a piece of that company. You have a, a right to vote on the equity side, and you have a responsibility on the bond side as well. And if you deploy that power in a sensible manner, as we've seen in some of the recent press, that's when you can start having impact because you can start changing behavior. So even though you can't change the capital structure in listed markets, you can change the behavior. And that's where I think some impact can be achieved. But even that is, is, is often a challenge. So how do fund houses approach this? Just to switch it over to the asset management side, do they lean towards areas where additionality is easier to find? If so, what are they? And if not, what do they do instead? So there's plenty of what the fund houses do that you know that they don't label as impact, and maybe they're going to call it sustainable or ESG or any of the other words out there, which is mostly about trying to make better investment decisions, uh, irrespective of whether those investment decisions have any impact on the world. So in very simple terms, if we are to take account of the most relevant, the most material environmental, social, and governance factors when we look at a company, we're probably going to make a better investment decision at the end of the day uh, compared to if we just ignored them and through away all that valuable information. So what fund houses will do, for the most part, is a lot of really good material and good uh, processes that will help the investment case, but it won't necessarily have any real-world impact. And that's you know, all these terms that we'll hear around ESG integration and these kind of, uh, and these kind of technical terms. Uh, when they're looking to have impact, it will be on the engagement side. It will be, can we use our power whether that's aggregated within the fund house, speaking as one, or teaming up with other fund houses to actually make a change for uh, the better with these companies. And sometimes that can be very public. It can be about pushing to get certain things on the agenda of an AGM, a certain resolutions. And sometimes it can be very private. It can be about making phone calls to the senior management and having rational conversations uh, about you know, how uh, the businesses could be improved for the better. And in all cases, this works best, like most things, when incentives are actually aligned. If you're making a proposal to a company that is good for their business, but also good for people and planet, you're going to find it an awful lot easier than if you're making a proposal that's going to destroy their profit, but is good for people and planet. So that's where I think fund houses really differentiate. The ones that understand and have the ability to actually help um, the, the investee companies become better businesses. And that's where I think uh, you know, the door is open and there can be an awful lot of impact created. Okay. So I just want to talk about the client for a little bit because at the end of the day, it's client sentiment that's driving this change in the industry, or certainly it's one of the factors. Um, how conscious do you think a typical client is of this issue of owning impact versus generating impact? And would you say that, or would you go as far as to say that they think their capital is often making a difference, that it's not? Um, I think on average with the majority of clients, that nuance is not appreciated, and, and nor should it be, to be honest. It is, it is a bit of a technical, uh, technical, technical differentiation. I think for most people, if they own, let's say, renewable shares and don't, uh, don't own tobacco shares, that will give them the impression that they have made a positive difference uh, in the world. And that, I think, is, as I said at the beginning, probably incorrect um, and not necessarily helpful because we do need, of course, collectively to help transition uh, our capital markets, to 
redirect capital to where it is more impactful. And if people are being told that something is impactful and good, when the reality is it has very little impact or perhaps no impact, it will distract them uh, from actually allocating capital in a manner that actually does have an impact, if that makes sense. So I think it can, at its worst, be genuinely counterproductive because people will take the uh, perfectly natural, easier route, uh, even if that route doesn't end up having significant uh, impact. So I I would agree with you. I think it's a, a case that most people don't differentiate and that lack of differentiation can actually have negative real-world consequences, despite the best intentions. Okay, so we've established the problem. Let's talk about solutions and innovation in this space. Do you think there's a way to create that additionality in listed markets? Is there a way you think it could be made easier for asset managers and investors in general to generate impact in listed markets? And if so, how would that look? And there's a couple of things that can be done, and none of these are perfect, um, but I think there's a couple of things that can be done. The first is, and we are seeing this, the debate between engage and divest, I think it's firmly swinging towards engagement. Uh, A lot more, even in the retail space, people are aware of how their fund managers are voting on their behalf. Increasingly, technology is enabling uh, individual clients to actually direct the votes according to their own personal beliefs, which obviously is uh, a lot more engaging when you can make sure sure that your investments are acting in the way that you personally think is a good thing rather than the wider market. So I think if we fast forward over the next five to 10 years, I'm very confident that aided by technology, shareholders will get increasingly powerful in the conversations with uh, with management. And as a consequence, they can become more impactful as uh, owners uh, in, in general. And I also apply that to bonds, even without the vote. Um, I think there's a really strong case that bondholders have a lot of power uh, when it comes to when it comes to companies as well. So that's definitely one angle where that pre-existing channel, that well-known channel of vote and engagement gets powered up by technology uh, over the next five to 10 years. I think the unexplored territory of um, making an impact in listed equities and listed assets in general is finding closer connections between real world change and the equities themselves. And to give one example of what I mean by that, if we take a current practice that's very popular, which is measuring the carbon footprint of the holdings, And what people at the minute aspire to do is to own a portfolio with a lower carbon footprint than what they owned previously. And as we discussed at the beginning, Ross, of course, that doesn't necessarily change the world because the shares that they sold still exist just with someone else. But what if we go one step further? And then what if we were to, in the real world, decarbonize that portfolio through nature-based offsets or through carbon capture uh, technologies that are emerging? So rather than being content that on paper, the carbon footprint has been reduced, what if we then actually went to the real world and uh, you know, went the next step and turned that from a paper uh, figure into a real world consequence where we can categorically show that X number of additional trees, for example, have been planted or Y uh, amounts of tons of carbon have been sucked out of the atmosphere and stored. And that's where I think listed equities have a really exciting uh, potential to start combining the real world and the financial world 
a little bit closer. And I think it's natural. It's highly engaging. It's a very strong narrative. Um, and I expect to see an awful lot more of that over the next, uh, again, five years. So what do you envisage the barriers being to making that happen? So one of the barriers is measurement, of course, which is if we're measuring, and this, my example was carbon, but of course we could measure water, we could measure waste, we could measure uh, forms of diversity. Uh, you need to make sure that that data is robust. Otherwise, what you're then solving for or offsetting um, doesn't, doesn't make sense and it becomes a, a bit, of, bit of a garbage in, garbage out. So that's, that's number one. And we're getting there. Carbon is probably ahead of the rest, but we are getting there. And then we need to have a robust manner of translating it into the real world. And again, carbon is actually probably the one that's ahead. We do have carbon credits, of course. There is emerging standards um, that, that's, that's been developed to make sure that these are uh, of a high quality and not, and not greenwashing. Again, it's not perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's emerging in that direction. So you need to have that framework of monitoring and the ability to have the real world uh, consequence. So things uh, such as water, uh, for example, things such as waste, if we can establish the equivalent markets to the carbon markets for these uh, potential externalities and have them again done in a robust fashion, you're gonna have the ingredients to start translating your financial portfolio into the, in, into the real world. And one of the analogies I think that I, I use quite often here is this is happening in other industries. So at the minute, when you when you book a flight, for example, you often have the option to carbon offset um, across most airlines. That, that's fairly common. Um, when you sh shop online, you often get the option to uh, you know, carbon offset uh, your purchases as well. So this concept is not necessarily new. It exists. It's been proven that it works. It's just applying it to a financial setting that I think. And that takes a little bit of a jump in mindset as well. James, I love this idea. I think it's great. But a lot of the examples of externalities that you've given have been environmental. What about social impact? What metrics would you like to see in the social world offset in the financial world? I think it's a little bit harder, um, to be honest, but it doesn't mean it can't be done. So if we take um, a metric such as, uh, let's take gender diversity. Now, your first challenge, of course, is to def define gender diversity. Um, and that's harder than, uh, at least it's arguably, it's harder than defining uh, tons of carbon emitted. Um, because what is gender diversity? Is it at board level? Is it at management level? If it's management, what does management mean? Is it number of employees? Is it revenue? So you, you've got a challenge there that you need to get a consistent metric, which will be imperfect, undoubtedly, but you do need a consistent metric or two uh, that defines what diversity means in, uh, in a corporate setting. And then you need to find once you've got that, the corresponding real-world consequence. So maybe it could be um, funding the education of, uh, in this case, uh, girls in uh, a developing country, for example. And for the greater the uh, lack of diversity in the investment portfolio, the more you'd want to give back, as it were, through, uh, through education programs. Is it quite as clean as a ton of carbon uh, emitted by your portfolio companies and a ton of carbon captured uh, from the atmosphere? No, but I do think there's still scope when we think of social metrics to get things that are still going to be tangible enough and close enough linked 
that the broad population can embrace it, understand it, and get behind it as as something that is uh, you know, engaging and and viable for their for their money to have more impact from their financial portfolio. <music>